0: more fun than we will. No, that's not what you want. Well, it's great to be with you again today. Uh, I grew up uh, mostly in Seattle, Washington. And what that meant was I assumed that everywhere in the world it rained every other day. And, but we, in Seattle, we don't get like large quantities of rain. We just get little little mists. So it's kind of like, that's why it's always fungus and mold are everywhere in Seattle. It's green everywhere. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, from Seattle. And then I realized it doesn't rain every other day. In fact, you can go months without it raining. Uh, needless to say, my first uh, month in, in Phoenix was September. And uh, you don't want to hear this story. Anyway, I got sick because I like, ran outside, got 110 degrees, and you know PE made us run. Of course, there was no shower in those days. To, anyway, so... Anyway, I like the rain. It's all I have to say I like the rain, uh, and it's good. Um, and thanks for coming. Uh, Exciting hydroplaning on the way here today from Boise. I drive carefully. It's good. Um, what is uh, the hardest? This is rhetorical. I'd love to, if you're in a small group, have you answer this question. But um, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? me um, physically or emotionally. Uh, my family uh, blessed me with um, a little Apple Watch a couple years ago. And one of the rules are, if you have this watch, you have to run. It's one of the rules. And so I started running uh, last year more regularly. And then my friend said, you know, you could do a half marathon. And I thought, why? <laughs> I'm being punished? So I ended up running the half marathon. And I w- many of you, I'm sure, have done many more uh, amazing physical things for me, physically, it's one of the hardest things I've done, and it took a lot of work. And I didn't do great. I wanted to do better. I might do another one at some point. Um, but you know what it's like to be pushed physically. Um, those of you who've done crazy things, hiking or climbing or sports or whatever, or the military work, you know when you've been pushed physically, it's not even go beyond anything you can do. Um, you know what that's like to be tested and tried. What about emotionally? Um, what are some of the hardest things you've done emotionally or spiritually in your life? Um, one of the biggest blessings of my life is my marriage, but marriages take work. Um, they are long, long races um, of day in, day out, um, committing and working on that thing and doing it together, um, which is really important. Um, being a dad is wonderful, but lots of work, um, as you know, um, some of you know, um, and kids are great, but that long-enduring um, gift of uh, children um is a blessing and lots of work. Um, the other piece too, that I did um, completing my PhD was really hard. Uh, I did a lot of good things in school, and school has gone pretty well. Um, but that doctorate uh, demanded 300 pages of slogging away. I'm, the rhetorical, what have you done that's been really hard? Uh, things you thought you never could have done. Um, I've had a lot of things in my life that I've started along the way that I didn't finish, and that wasn't great. So you have some of those stories as well, too. Um, Think about those hard things. What are some easy things that you've done? For me, I'm good at eating. And it's not hard. It's never like, Brent, would you eat this taco? Well, sure. I mean, I can do that. Um, uh, So easy things. What things come easy for you to do? Um, I'm a pretty good sleeper. I like to sleep and eat. Um, I like to watch things. Other people do work. Um, But let me ask you this question. What do you value more the things that come easy, the things that are hard. I I wonder, and then um, there's not a right or wrong answer there. Be curious, think about what things matter more in your life. Things that come easier come hard. Um, and then this then this question turns here. What about Christianity? Should being a Christian be easy or hard? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Um, one of the things we know is that the beginning of this Christian road, like lots of things, the long trek. Um, one of the heroes of my faith is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe you didn't know his, his most famous book is Cost of Discipleship. Um, he was a German uh, who um, in the 1930s, 40s um, kind of spoke up against part of the resistance movement and spoke up against Hitler, so was in jail, um, but wrote, wrote several books. I mean, he had a book called Letters and Papers from Prison, Again, his most famous book is "The Cost of Discipleship," Um, and there, ironically, the sad part of his life is he actually um, was killed. I think about three or four days before his uh, camp was liberated by the Allies. Um, But he wrote a book about cheap grace and costly grace. Talk about the dangers of cheap grace: is we kind of want God to be our buddy to help us out when things, you know, aren't going great. But the moment things turn hard, we abandon, we run away. He said, too many Christians want a cheap grace. When it gets hard or difficult, we're out. But he said, what we're invited into is costly grace. Indeed, to realize that while we cannot earn God's forgiveness, um, how do, what do we do with that forgiveness we've been given? Do we abuse that forgiveness that God wants to offer us? Um, that's the key. Um, so the things that are hard in life and easy in life. Have you ever been in a situation when you thought something was going to be easy, and it ended up being very hard? Any of those stories? Do you have any friendships like that? You thought know, this is going to be a great friendship, but it ended up being really hard work. Um, one of my really good friends, and I wish he was here to tell this story. I'm telling this story. Um, is actually, he, she was the husband of the volleyball coach at NNU, John Brosh, with Darlene Brosh, in volleyball in a long time. Anyway. So John was a good friend, um, but of those crazy guys, always doing weird stuff. So one night, um, I just finished out, hanging out at the gym, doing whatever. And he says, Brent, do you have anything going on tonight? And I said, not really. And he said, well, I, I need some help. And I knew John a little bit to know when someone says, I need some help, that, you know, it's, it's a loaded question. Is it like, well, you got to go lift a piece of furniture, or what are we going to do? So he said, well, come with me. Okay. So we start going to his house. And then slowly the plan starts to unfold. It's about now five or six o'clock. Basically, John had this old car. It's a Mercedes, like a 1960 something. Didn't matter. Um, And it was great, it was broken. Um, And we were going to get it to Emmett. Now, we were living in Nampa. Those of you know the geography there, so we're going to Emmett. And so, but the plan was. Uh, he had this big 1970s whatever van, big metal van, and then we had this little teeny little tin can of a Mercedes that was very, very small, and the Mercedes um, couldn't drive itself, so we were going to be in a towing situation. So we just, he decided, of course, I'm like 19 and an idiot, I don't know what's better to do, so we decided we're going to take this van and give about, literally, about a 10-foot piece of rope and tie it to the Mercedes. Now, if anybody know physics, this is going to be fine for a little bit. So I'm like, this is an adventure. Why not? Of course, um, we're driving, and it's, things are going okay when there's good, like, tension. But because he could easily pull this Mercedes, no problem. And I will say, um, the battery was enough that I had lights on my Mercedes to go. For those of you who are mechanics know when you have lights on with no battery or alternator turning, eventually the lights are going to begin to die. And as the sun began to die, so did the lights begin to die. So we were driving pretty well, and here's the physics go this. I should have brought a little, um, imagine two cars with a rope. And so at one pull, it's great. When this one stops, this one has to also choose to stop on its own. And again, you have 10 feet. So I kind of figured it out because it's this strong rope. So I could hit the brakes, but if I got 10 feet was out, boom, slingshot back in. So mostly Napa is pretty flat. However, those of you who know what's happening, when you drive to Emmett, there's a little hill there. 10 feet. Just as my headlights are beginning to go out... We're going down the hill. And you remember that I, I, 10, and I hit the brakes, bam, back and forth. Literally, I thought I was going to die, but I'm here today. I only had 18 operations. It was great. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> he got down to the bottom of the and he goes, wasn't that fun? And I said, next time I'm in the van, you're in the car. <laughs> Sometimes in life, um, it's not always fun to have unexpected death perilous adventures before you. Hey, you got you bored in five minutes, right? He didn't buy me a sandwich, I guess, after putting my life on the line. Um, The question with Christianity is this. Is it hard or is it easy? There's not really a right or wrong here. In our text today, and I'll be honest, our text is a hard, awkward text. You might like Jesus less after our text today. He's going to say some hard things. Part of the question is this. What is the cost of being a real disciple? Well, it's important we say there's nothing you can do to ever earn or deserve God's love. So it's really important we're not trying to like do some kind of works thingy. But what does it mean to live into this grace and this freedom that God has giving us. That's the question at hand. Um, so we're on a long trajectory, right? Remember, we began talking about this. This do you want to be a disciple? Is the question we're asking over and over. And the previous weeks we're kind of talking about little moral things we do, don't be too greedy. Last week, remember is you know, when you host a dinner, where do you sit? Sit at the kids' table and like be happy there. When you host the meal, invite those on the margins, don't just invite your family and friends, right? I have to invite even 49er fans to my meals. It's kind of a sad thing. <laughs> um, at the end of Jesus' story last week about like the, um, the meals in 14:25, Jesus says, "Well, blessed is the man who eats that feast, the kingdom of God." Well, Jesus says nothing about honoring that, that request, right? But He tells them a story. He said, there was a guy throwing a party. And this servant went out, and the master said to the servant, "Go fund everybody for the party." So, and these folks were mostly the, the elites, the rich, and the wealthy. And they came, and they said, "We're busy. I just bought a new car." That's my translation, right? I bought a new property. Third one said, "I just got married." Right? They had all they're they, they doing important things. And so this servant goes back to the master. And he says, these folks are busy. And he says, I want you to go out to find anybody. Those in the margins, the poor, the lame, the blind. Find any of them and invite them to my banquet feast. Does that sound familiar? right? It's the, the previous story we just talked about the week before. Who do you invite to your party? And God said, and then he invited some and he said, um, we still have more room. Keep on inviting. That little story before our text today says a very simple thing. Many folks... Um, don't mind being invited to parties, but their priorities aren't there. And here's the hard thing for many of us. I don't know all of your life situations. For many of us in Mountain Home, Treasure Valley, um, how much do we really need God? Um, I'm sure you've seen, and Pastor Debbie mentioned that the pictures from the Bahamas, right? I'm not sure if some of you have been through life situations of, destruction of natural disaster, perhaps relational issues, um, bad health issues, you face storms in your life. Um, my concern is that when the storms come, we're pretty eager to respond to Jesus' invitation to come to the party. But When life is easy and it's comfortable, Jesus is nice, but you know, we've got other things we're doing. And so Jesus asked the question today, what does it look like to be a disciple? What are the priorities of our life in order to do this Christian thing? Well, I'm going to read our text today. Our text today is from Matthew 14, um, verses 25. I'm going to go to 30. Um, I, I lied. I'm going to go to 35. It's 33 the things. So if you can stand, it would be great. Again, Luke 14, um, 25. And I'm going to cheat all the way. I didn't tell the folks in the back of this, so the last two verses. I'm going all the way to 35. So if they're not up there, that's my fault. So again, Um, This is Jesus telling us, what is the cost of discipleship? Do you want to be a disciple? So here we go. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said. Whoever comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, spouse and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So we have a story. If one of you wanted to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and calculate the cost, determine whether you have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when you've laid the foundation but couldn't finish the tower, all will see it and begin to belittle you. They will say, here's the person who began construction and couldn't complete it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down to consider whether his 10,000 soldiers could go up against the 20,000 coming against him. If he didn't think he could win, he would send a representative to discuss the terms of peace while his enemy was still a long way off. In the same way, none of you who are unwilling to give up all your possessions can be my disciple. 34. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how it becomes salty again. It has no value, neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. People throw it away. Whoever has ears to hear should pay attention. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Um, this is a hard word. Um, what's going on here? In fact, two weeks in a row, Jesus all up in us about our families. We can't invite them to lunch. You got to hate them this week. What's he up to? Um, Like some preachers tend to do, one could say, Jesus does not want you to hate your family, but he's using kind of a hyperbole to get a point across. Um, That when it comes to priorities, as important as your family is, even your family, before, remember, we had the, how much grain did you have? Who are your friends are? Even your family can become an idol, getting higher priority than God. God is unrelenting because what God says is this. Um, Some of you, we do infant dedications or baptisms. One of the things we do when we do those things at a dedication and baptism as part of that service is that we say to God in front of the church, God, we give this child back to you. But do we mean it? Um, God is not saying that you should have hatred towards family, but in comparison, is God number one and Lord of your life? That our earlier texts had other things to do, more important things. We had land and cattle and a marriage, and I'm, I'm too busy for the kingdom. When 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 it's a better time for me, I'll go. So in a very classic Semitic, a Jewish way of teaching, Jesus kind of makes some extremes here. You've got to hate your family and hate yourself. Now, man, woof. In comparison. The goal is not hating yourself or your family, but it is to say this. Here's, Here's the invitation. You will only find life as God is the number one priority for you. You'll be better able to love your family, be better able to steward the things around you because you're not worried about getting stolen all the time because the kingdom of heaven is more important than that. It's other teachings, right? But for some, that's hard because we love these people as God wants us to love them. But if we... Some of you remember the story. We referred to it earlier in, this, in the summer, I think. Remember the story of Abraham. Remember Father Abraham many sons? We have Isaac. Remember the story of Isaac? God asked Abraham to go kill Isaac. So they go up the mountain. Abraham was ready to kill. The angel stops and says, Now I know that you will honor him more than anything else. What's the moral story of that? Remember for, for Isaac was no more camping trips with dad, right? Um, but the moral was this. The question was this for Abraham after all that story of 25 years of waiting, had Isaac become Abraham's God? Had Isaac become even more important than God had become? And so here Jesus is saying, any person in your life that has more importance than me, your life is, you're going to miss out because those things are going to have too high of a priority. Essentially, the question is this. If there is anything in your life that if God asked for it back and you couldn't do it, that thing is your God. Now again, these pastors make me nervous for all the ways you can hear them and go sideways. I'll say it again. God is not wanting you to hate your neighbor or your family or to hate yourself in bad ways. But as an exaggerated example, he is to say, to love God deeply in comparison is hatred towards anything else. So as Jesus does, with the heart saying, let's tell a story, right? So we have this guy who wants to build a house. And when we um, build, any builders out there, right? Okay, we have no builders. That's awkward. Okay, <laughs> well, well, find someone to build. Uh, we, have, we have kind of some, sure. Okay. So how many have ever lived in a house that was built? Okay? Crop participation. Now we're all involved. Now. You're all in the house. Someone built your house, in case you weren't sure that was all of you. Sorry. Um, I lived many places, uh, lived. I've visited many places around the world. Uh, some of you have as well. Um, in some economies, um, they don't do like mortgages. You basically build your house based on how much money you have today. And there's not any kind of, note. I mean, I, I've been, maybe some of you have. I've never been able to buy a house outright, right? Just say, here's all the money, right? Well, in some economies, you just build as much as you until you get along. So there are houses built, and often those houses don't go well. I've been in many places, and we're going to Russia, and there's kind of an area that is a lot. You have houses in multiple stages of being built based on how much money we have then. Well, the, the idea is this this first parable is this you probably isn't wise to have half the amount of money. Because a half a house is probably not going to be helpful to you. Getting this slab of concrete is awesome, but without a roof, it's not so great. And one, it's been embarrassing, right? We got to plan ahead. I mean, when you set out on a long adventure uh, this summer, I set a long six thousand mile adventure, and it mostly worked out okay. Um, but I was strategic on where I had to get gas, because not having gas would make it for a bad day. Um, plan ahead. Next illustration, a little more intense. The king's going to go to war. And he recognizes, we're going to lose. So instead of going in thinking we're going to, pretending we're going to be okay, we're going to send the emissary out and say, hey, white flag, let's have peace. By the way, there's a great line I learned one time. Those, those who fight and flee. Um, those who fight think that they will win, Those who flee are often those who would fight, but though they would lose. So he says, this king, if you know it's not going to go well, wave the white flag and say, hey, it is better to be alive than to be dead by your enemy. So two things about this story is very simple. Do you count the cost for what's going on to happen? So what does it mean for us today? Um, I remember um, when I was a youth pastor in Kansas City, and we had a youth camp. I love youth camps. It um, was a part of one this summer. I'm probably way too old to speak at them any longer, but they keep inviting me, so whatever. It was fine. Um, but I remember going to a youth camp, and we had this time where um, kids would come to the altar and respond to come accept Christ in their life or grow deeper with Christ. It was wonderful. But I knew, the, I knew this kid a little bit. And so um, me and then my youth pastor were kind of talking to this kid afterwards, and I said, you know what? You probably don't want to become a Christian. It's not a good idea. It's going to be really hard. There are things in your life you have right now that you're going to have to stop doing. Things you do, people you hang out with, there's a lot about things. And being Christian, it's going to be hard. You probably don't want to do it. And he was like, and my other friend was like, what are you talking about? Like, Sign him up. Get the steak knives. It's good, right? I mean, um, it's the idea of, why would you tell someone not to do this? Well, in the end, we got around to, I really wanted him to become, but I wanted him to know the cost. I think sometimes we've sold a cheap Christianity that's simply about, like, getting the good stuff, not the hard stuff. Um, the Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is one of the most awkward days of the church year. It's like, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise be to God, woohoo! But unfortunately, what we know is, and the disciples were having a great time on Palm Sunday. I mean, they were in the entourage. It was great. It was great to be with Jesus. They were celebrating him. I mean, I'm getting celebrated with Jesus. You're in that close group. And that's going great. But then the Holy Week begins to go forward. And as it goes forward in that week, all of a sudden, uh, things take a turn on that Thursday night. And all of a sudden, all these praise chants were turned to soldiers in our face, and they are ready to arrest Jesus. And these disciples, who were very willing to follow Jesus on Palm Sunday, when the soldiers came, and after he had the cutting off the ear, and Jesus saying no, all the disciples scattered. Not one disciple followed Jesus. I read an author. I'm not sure if I made you read that book, To Share in the Body. Anyway, yes, you did. That's a great book. Um, in that book, he said, it feels like the disciples should have followed and gone with Jesus even to be killed. They're like, oh, who will take care of the church? And then, but it's amazing how we make excuses, don't we? Jesus says, if you're not willing to follow me and take up your cross, you can't be my disciple. You see, too often as Christians, we want to be onlookers. A disciple is to be a follower. The whole season of Lent, getting ready for Easter, is this question. Are you willing to follow Jesus all the way to the cross? Sometimes in the church, we've given folks a cheap version of Christianity. Now again, we do think, we believe, God offers forgiveness and cleansing and hope. Amen, hallelujah. But along with that, he says, to live into that forgiveness and hope, we must be willing to follow Christ wherever Christ leads us. And too often, we want Jesus to do stuff for us, we actually don't want to follow him. This text is hard. You might like Jesus less after today. I don't know. But Jesus wants to be upfront with you. Count the cost. Count. It is absolutely. What we don't know is to follow Jesus in, follow on that cross, that actually is the road to life. That's where life is found, following Jesus. It's not anywhere else. It's not taking care of your cows or your land or your the new marriage, right? It is about following Jesus will be the road to life even as the circumstances might not be fun. And too often I'm tempted to have the party with Jesus when the hard things come, I'm out. I scatter, I flee. The good news for the disciples and for us, when there are times when things got hard and we fled, one of my favorite scenes Especially with Peter, who denies him three times. Of course, you know that story. After that breakfast on the seashore, Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Of course, those three times matches what? The three denials. The good news is, a couple things. One, God wants us to know the cost. But also, the times that we fail, God does not give up on us and said, when you're ready, Let's come back and do it again. What does it mean for you this week to count the cost of discipleship? It's not about earning or or, or like, it's not about like working hard to earn something. But what is God inviting you to? What does it look like for you this week to be willing to take up your cross and follow him? To live into the hope and the joy and the challenge he's given you. This is not like masochism looking for pain. But it is saying the road to discipleship is the road to life, but it demands that we give all of ourselves back to God. What parts are you holding back? What parts is it really hard to say, God, you can be Lord of those things? The invitation, as we heard our text today, to be a disciple is we're willing to give God everything back in order to say, God, you truly are number one. It's a good text. It's a hard text. It's a life-bearing text. And the question for all of us is, where is Christ inviting us to go to the next level? In knowing we are loved and forgiven, but allowing God to say, are you willing to follow me even when the future is not fully clear and uncertain? Now, come on up, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this text. To be honest, it's a text we need to hear, but it is not always fun. Lord, as you're preparing your son to head toward Calvary, he invited his disciples then and us today to realize what this Christian life offers, which is absolutely joy and hope and peace in our hearts, even as the circumstances of life are sometimes not fun. Lord, I pray for every person in this room who is currently going in a storm right now. Lord, I pray that you would provide the peace in that storm or may they hold, may you hold them close during this storm. Others of us, Lord, today, I pray we'd ask this simple question. You have told us what's going to happen. And the question is this, what does it look like for us to go to the next level in our willingness to follow your son, Jesus Christ? What are areas this week where you're inviting us to deeper levels of life and obedience and to better live into that calling? The good news is this, Lord. We also know, and sometimes we've failed, you're ready to take us in and forgive us again. But Lord, I pray be willing this week even. When Jesus gave this word to his disciples, he looked at them and loved them. That word today, I hope today you know you are loved. And in that love, God wants for you to love yourself and love your family, but to know that real life will come as you say, God, I want you to be Lord of every area of my life. But we can't do that on our own, can we? The Spirit will help us. It will help each other. So receive his benediction. May you go in the presence of the Spirit to love God fully and to be loved and to come this week in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Savior, to follow Him no matter where He takes us, in Christ's name. Amen. Go in grace and peace.